0: We're going to spend some time this morning talking about what it looks like to be present in our everyday moments. We're in the middle of a series about loving people well. And one of the greatest ways in a rapid pace culture to show somebody that we love them is to be fully present to them. We are an increasingly distracted culture. Research suggests I have less than a minute to capture your attention before many of you will decide to be physically present in this room, but mentally elsewhere. Maybe you're thinking about the Bears game this afternoon or whatever it may be. Some of you have already left the building, right? (laughs) Even though you're physically here. There's a whole industry that has cropped up since we've started tracking website statistics and blogs and and people make entire livings, entire professions on, on, on tracking the analytics of how long you stay on a website. How long are you present? The average person will spend about 10 seconds deciding whether or not they want to stay on that website or click somewhere else. How present are we in our moments? I have a friend who lives up in Gurney and this past Thursday morning, I was chatting with her, and she was telling me the story of a moment she had in Walmart, of all places, where she decided to stop and be fully present. And I begged her to let me tell this story this morning. She had gone into Walmart. She needed crackers, she was going to have chili that night with some neighbors and her family. And as she walked in, she stopped at the drinking fountain in the store and literally ran into a friend of hers, a woman named Sue. Sue and, um, and my friend Nicole are both um, in their early 30s. And um, Sue is battling terminal cancer. They both go to church together. They both love the Lord. And they had what Nicole explained was a sort of holy moment together at the drinking fountain in Walmart. They swapped pleasantries, they hugged each other, and while they were in a moment with one another, another young woman who was in a wheelchair, a motorized wheelchair, rolled up and looked at them, and then looked up at her friend Sue and said, I find you beautiful. And she said, you are glowing. And then she rolled away. And Nicole said her friend Sue is already showing the visible signs of her illness. And Sue would not choose to define herself now as particularly beautiful. But this woman said she glowed. And so the gals hugged one another and dashed off to do their business. And my friend Nicole went off to find her crackers and rounded the corner. And here was this gal in the wheelchair. And Nicole walked over to her and said, you know, thanks for what you did for my friend. That was really great. And she said at that moment, she looked at that woman in the wheelchair and just saw a sort of lost look on her face. And my friend Nicole said, she goes, I didn't know what to do. I asked her for her phone number. I gave her my phone number, and I promised I would call her. And I said, did you call her yet? She goes, no, not yet. I don't even know what I'm going to say. She goes, I don't even know her name. (laughs) She goes, I'm going to call her up, though, and I'm going to tell her the reason that my friend glowed, is that she had the hope of Jesus. She said then after that moment, she turned around and ran out to her car and came home and realized she had forgotten the crackers after all of that. <laughs> she told me, you know, it was, it was a both and for her. She took, she received the gift of someone else's presence. Someone crashed into their moment at the drinking fountain. And then in turn, she stopped for a minute. She has no idea what led her to it, but she swapped phone numbers with this woman and was planning, she said, to call her this weekend. Do we have a chance in our culture to stop and be present to people? In our story for this morning, Jesus is fully present to the moment he's in. There's a man named Jairus who we're told is a synagogue leader, which means he was a higher profile person in the community his daughter, who we're told in other Gospels is around 12 years old, has suddenly fallen gravely ill. And Jairus puts all um, you know, social accountability aside and overlooks the fact that Jesus at that time was a controversial figure, and he just throws himself at the feet of Jesus, panic-stricken for his daughter. Jesus, my daughter is sick Please come with me and save her, rescue her. And Jesus says, okay, let's go. A crowd had amassed around them, we're told. As I said, Jesus being a controversial figure, he had people watching him all the time to see what he was going to do next. Was he legit? Was he going to screw something up? Was there going to be a miracle they were going to get to witness? People wanted to see what Jesus was going to do. Add to that the fact that Jairus is a community figure and he was known. So what's going on that made this guy throw himself at the feet of the rabbi? People wanted to follow along and see. So there's this herd of people kind of jostling one another, moving quickly down the road to see if indeed Jairus is going to rescue this young girl from the jaws of death. And as this crowd is making its way, a woman reaches out and touches the hem of Jesus' cloak to find healing for herself. A woman whom we're told was bleeding, was suffering from an ailment for 12 years. Culturally, at that time, if you suffered in that way, you would have been considered unclean. Which meant that you couldn't come to church, you couldn't go to the synagogue, you couldn't worship, you couldn't go out in public, you couldn't be with your community. Because if anybody so much as brushed their arm up against yours, they would be considered unclean as well. So she had been isolated for 12 years, which meant she was incognito at this time, probably wrapped in a cloak because people knew who she was and they knew she wasn't supposed to be there. But she knew Jesus who was walking down the road and she had tried all manner of cure and finally thought to herself, if I can just get near this man and touch his coat, I will be healed. So she does it and it works. We're told she feels healing instantly in her body. And Jesus wheels around, who touched me? Who touched me? And of course, the folks with him are like, are you kidding me? Who touched you? We're in a giant crowd of people. Be like a linebacker, an offensive lineman on a Sunday saying, who ran into me after the snap, right? I mean, this is what, the, you get hit all the time. This is what you do. What do you mean who touched you? He says, no, someone touched me differently. Imagine if you were the woman, right? Oh, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm healed. And now he wants to know who touched him. She comes out in the present, he asks her to speak, which women often did not do in public at this time in history, and he validates her experience. He says, and oh, by the way, the superstition of just touching my cloak is not what saved you, it's the faith you have that saved you. And as he engages fully present in the dialogue with this woman, can you imagine what Jarus is doing? Okay, Jesus, let's go. My daughter's dying. She's healed. Are we good? Are we good? Can we move? Can we keep going? I mean, the crowd would have wanted to keep going. All right, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. He stays present in that moment. He makes eye contact with her. He validates her. He meets her need. He expresses love to her. And then he moves on to eventually heal this little girl. As well what does it look like to be fully present to somebody else in our culture we live in the crowd and if we dare to stop along the way the sheer velocity of American life shoves you forward let's go let's go let's go let's get on to the next thing there's email to check there's places to go there's corporate ladders to climb Some of us spend time in our past. Maybe we're stuck in our past a little bit, but that has a different sort of momentum of its own. And most of us are unable to be fully present to the moment. And how many of us have conversations, I do this every day. Yep, okay. Yeah, okay, I'll be there at five, right? We have full conversations with people without even looking at them because we're here and here all at the same time. And we all know what it feels like when someone dares to do that Jesus moment and stop and be present with us, right? It's like you insert the scratching record sound into your day, like, what? You're listening to me? You have time for me? I had a a physician uh, several years ago who was at the same time the most tremendously frustrating and the most tremendously gifted doctor my family had ever seen. And if you were gonna to go to a doctor's appointment at this doctor's office, it was like going to the DMV. You had no idea how long it was gonna take. And you'd best take an entire day off of work to do it. If you had a one o'clock appointment, you may or may not be seen by three or 3.15. A two hour, two and a half hour wait in the, lock, in the locker room, <laughs> the waiting room, was not uncommon. People would bring their work with them and everything else. And you would sit there with this frustration and anxiety, like, really, can't you move this along quicker? And when I would get into the doctor room, and just for a routine checkup, when I would get into the exam room and I'd have my kids with me sometimes and we'd be, okay, flu shots and booster shots and tetanus and whatever else we needed, and I'd be hurrying through and the doctor would say, what else do you need? And I'd say, nothing else, we're good, we're good. I know you're busy, we'll go. And this physician would say, I am here for you. This is your time. Ask me anything you want. How's this or that or the other thing going? You had as much time as you wanted with that doctor. We know what it feels like when someone gives us the gift of their presence. This is the, one of the ways that Jesus showed his tremendous love for people, was being fully present to them, which was difficult then, then and I dare say it's even increasingly difficult in our culture today. My kids a couple years ago were playing this little game in the kitchen, and they were quoting my husband and I. They were like, guess who I am? And then one of them would spout off something the dad said, and they would all guess. And the other one would say, you know, here's this, that, or the other thing, And you know, it's, which is really telling if your kids ever play a game like that. You hear the things you say all the time. And one of them, my oldest, said, wait, 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 I've got one. And he goes like this. He pretends he's on his laptop. And he goes, hang on, i got to just finish this email. And my other two go, you're mommy like, ouch. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how it goes sometimes, right? Peter Kraft is a theologian and a scholar. He's authored over 40 books. And he was once interviewed and asked, of the 40 plus books you've, you've, you've done, what is, the, what is the most important book you ever wrote? And Peter answered, it's the one I didn't write when my children were little. He was present in a moment with his family. You know, if we look beyond the Jairus story, what do we see about the Gospels themselves? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're stories of God's presence in this world. Gospel means good news. What is the good news? God, the divine creator of all things majestic and beautiful and holy and wise and completely out of our bounds, came to earth as a man, the incarnation of Jesus. He came here to be fully present with us. The macro level movement of our narrative of faith is the presence of Jesus, of God come man, to be in the world with us. God does everything he can to be in our presence. So we are then told to extend that to others. Easier said than done, as many of us know. Why aren't we present with one another. And we could, if we wanted to, blame email and Facebook and text messaging and Twitter. We could blame social media if we want. But that social media is not the reason we're not present. It's a symptom, maybe. What is the root of why we're not present with one another? There's a couple reasons. I, mean, I think one of them, and Adele Calhoun was here last week for our women's event, and she talked about what, um, what she calls the fear of missing out, that we live with a perpetual fear of missing out. That when we're walking down the road with the crowd and someone reaches out to grab the hem of our jackets, we often can't stop because we want to be part of what's ahead. Maybe we're on Facebook wondering what's going on over there. What party are they at? What social event are they at? We're not present here because we're fearing missing out over there. We live with the momentum that comes from a fear of missing out. Some of us, perhaps, have a misunderstanding about our own finitude, our own limitations. We like to think we're limitless. We don't like to dwell on the fact that we are finite beings. Moses, in Psalm 20, offers a prayer to God, and he says, "'Teach us to number our days, so we may gain a heart of wisdom.'" We are not a culture that is particularly fond of numbering our days, are we? Often we're also distracted by the details. How many of us at the end of a day can't even think back about what we did that day, let alone if we were able to stop and have a meaningful moment with someone? Dorothy Bass says, Most often our days are lost to smallness. Patched together from obligations, Then, shredded by interruptions, our day disintegrates into fragments that blow away in the wind. We are then left empty handed and exposed, unable to answer even a simple question like, How was your day? We don't want to miss out. We don't want to live within our limits. There's too many details to manage. And lastly, we're impatient. We are impatient. Tim Keller says patience is love for the long haul. We're a snap your fingers, go, 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 go culture. And helping people usually doesn't fit neat and tidy into our schedule. How many of us are scheduled so tight That the slightest interruption, the slightest phone call of need, sends us spiraling out of orbit. We're impatient. Jesus, my friends, was none of these things. None of these things. He lived in the present moment. And the timing of both of these miracles was perfect. How much greater the woman's miracle because Jesus stopped and met her in the moment, and how much greater the miracle of Jairus' daughter. She was healed after it was believed to have been too late. Jesus did not live impatiently or with any of these frustrations pressing in on him. There's a gentleman culturally that's garnered quite a bit of interest. Perhaps you've heard of him. His name is Bob Goff. Bob is, a, is an attorney in Washington, DC. He's a law professor at Pepperdine. He's currently the Ugandan honorary counsel to the United States. He's a New York Times best selling author. He's the founder of a nonprofit called Restore International. And Relevant Magazine, in their November-December issue, did an interview with Bob. Because other than all of these accolades, Bob Goff is known as a man who is tremendously present to the moment. While clearly having a platform that would pull him other places. And what the interviewers said about Bob Goff that I thought was most telling was this one line. The most fascinating thing about Bob Goff is Bob Goff. The most fascinating thing about Bob Goff is Bob Goff. I kind of read that line multiple times. What else? Is there more here? (laughs) What else is there? The conversation goes on to say that he is so impressive because he's fully present in every moment. The man put his cell phone number on the back of his book jacket, Anybody can call him. Any one of us, if we wanted to, can call him. And while he may not always answer the phone, if he does, he will talk to you for as long as you want. And the article goes on to say this is incredibly inefficient. (laughs) And he will tell you that we live in a world that is short on love, and being present to someone is a way to show them love. And so he's okay with the inefficiency. And if you think about it, Jesus stopping to help this woman was incredibly inefficient, in Matthew five thirty, we read that power left him. It cost Jesus something to help her. The reason he knew she had grabbed his coat is because there was a balance of power that shifted there. He felt it. It was not efficient. The efficient thing would have been to keep going. And so I want to ask you all today, what would it be like if what someone said about you was that the most impressive thing about you was that you were you? The most impressive thing about Tracy Bianchi is she's Tracy. Michelle Joyce is Michelle. Amy McCurry is Amy. Put your name in there. The most impressive thing about you is who you are, your presence. Moses had this same experience in Exodus chapter 3. Moses is getting ready to lead an entire nation of people out of slavery in Egypt. And God says, Moses, you're the guy who's going to do this thing. And Moses is like, yeah, probably not. I don't think that I want to do this. This isn't really my thing. God, can you find somebody else to lead this charade? And God's like, no, Moses, you're going to do it. You're going to be the one that does it. And in Genesis three twelve, he says, I will be with you. My presence is Will be with you in the place that you need to be fully present to. And Moses then says, Okay, okay, fine, I'll do it. But when I go, who am I supposed to say sent me? How are we going to spin this thing, God? What, what, What attributes do you want me to point out most prominently? What title do you want me to say? Who should I say sent me, is what Moses asks. And God says this Tell him, tell them, I am has sent me to you. Tell them I am. The divine name for God, I am, is the best translation. What does it mean? I exist. I am here. No one defines me but me. I am present. Tell them I'm with you. The most impressive thing about you, the most meaningful thing about you that you can give to somebody else, is your presence. And if we believe that God is present with us, Hebrews 13, 5, we're told, never will I leave you or forsake you. If we believe that is true, then what should be most true about us is our ability to be present with someone. Think for a moment of the transformation we could make in our culture if we just stopped when someone grabbed the hem of our jacket and said, okay, I'll sit with you. It means I have to live within my boundaries. It means I'm going to have to be patient with you. It means I'm going to miss out on some stuff because I'm here. It means details are going to get missed and email's not going to get answered. And it means that I may have to sit on my cell phone so I'm not tempted to look at it. But it means I am here with You. And as we forge ahead in these conversations about what it means to love others, it means that we're present with them. So my challenge for each of us this week is simple. Find one moment in your week where you sit down and you say to someone who needs you, I am here with you you. Look them in the eyes. Talk slowly. I am here with you. Amen? You can do that. That's my challenge for us this week, and I believe it's the challenge that God would want us to have, and that it is how he showed himself fully present to us. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that your presence is in this place. And when we sing in praise and worship and we pray and we take these moments, what we're celebrating is your presence with us. So help us to be present to the moments in our lives, to you and to one another. And let us go from this place this week, giving others the same gift you have given us. In Jesus' name we pray these things. All of God's people said, Amen.